Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only on LA Talk Radio. Hello there, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I am your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I practice as an intuitive psychotherapist. I am EMDR certified and a Reiki practitioner. You can find me and this show, as well as past shows on YouTube or at nolatherapy.com, which is the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy.com. You can book sessions that way, order my book. You can inquire about being a guest on this show or advertising. And if you have emailed me in May or June, I'm going to ask that you re-email me. My website had a glitch that has now been repaired and I have been unable to access those emails. And I'd really like to get back to everyone. Shifting to my guest, it's, it's a really um, intellectual and, and informative and I think life-changing show today. I'm with Dr. Gerald Lauren Fishkin. He's been in private practice as a clinical psychologist for uh, over 44 years. And, and I found a quote of what he just believes and it really struck me. He says that I'm never satisfied with surface answers. I'm always looking more deeply into life. And that message really resonated with me and who I am and and what this show is about. And we are going to be talking today about his fourth book, Addressing the Neuroscience Underlying Shame and Shame-Based Identity, and, and how that differs from guilt. The book is called The Science of Shame and Its Treatment. Dr. Fishkin has additionally written over 200 articles. He's been on CBS, Geraldo, Uh, multiple radio and TV shows, including shows that have been hosted by the late and great Michael Jackson. When Dr. Fishkin was in his PhD studies, uh, I really enjoyed reading that he was graduate assistant to Dr. Viktor Frankl, who, if you're any kind of existentialist at all, you will have in your library his book, Man's Search for Meaning. So I would like to bring you on, 
Dr. Fishkin, welcome. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me today. It's, a, it's my pleasure, actually. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yes. I'm curious where you'd like to start in discussing this topic of shame and identity, its treatment, and, and the work that you've done in this area. Yeah, well, where do you want to start? <laughs> well, uh, maybe for our listeners, yeah, well, I don't know, defining what, what shame is versus guilt, um, right. possibly. Well, let, let me just take off uh, on, on how this all began. About six years ago, I, I, you know, I kind of reached a, a burnout, and I should know all about that. I wrote three books on occupational burnout. <laughs> but I, I started feeling low and needing some... Uh, revitalization. I found a place out in Arizona that that uh, they dealt with shame and addictions and all of that. So I went through their program, a week long program. Then I got, I was inspired because something had changed in me. I never knew about shame. Uh, I went through all their trainings, uh, and then I I popped out the other side and I started evaluating what what is this thing called shame and what is his voice in my head and I think everybody else is called self talk. And that was the beginning of the, the studies and the writing that brought me to this book. I did not intend to write a book. I was writing uh, just uh, postscripts to myself after mm. each of these trainings. And I realized, oh, my God, this is something here. Self-talk has a life of its own. Yeah. So then I started looking at self-talk internationally, nationally and internationally. It turns out everybody has self-talk. In the smallest vi- village in, 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 in China or, or in the, the, the capitals of the world, everybody has self-talk. We all have, and typically self-talk is redundant, it's irrational, it's a closed mm-hmm. system, and it's toxic. And self-talk, typically what I have come to find out is it's not our voice, it's somebody else's, uh, whoever was our caregiver. And that led me to uh, shame, because shame seems to be behind self-talk. So I wanted to understand what is the shame business, because everybody has shame. And it turns out, I started doing the research, and I found out that shame, actually current research, lives in our brain. Shame is actually like vision hearing, muscle movement, or smell, it lives in a part of our brain in the limbic system, above the limbic system, yeah. called the, the, the uh, basal ganglia. I mean, yeah. there's five components in our brain that cause us to feel a certain way. Now, the thing about shame is this. Shame is always about our sense of self. Mm-hmm. Shame is always about who we think we are. Shame is always about how we were treated as children and the bonding experience, all that. We can get into that. Attachment, yeah. Yep, but it's always about our sense of self, whereas guilt, on the other hand, comes from a different part of our brain, and guilt is about a breaking of a a learned value. Guilt is about anxiety. Guilt is about getting caught, but shame is always about our sense of self. Guilt is about something we've done. Shame is about who we are. And that should really kind of lay out the, the um, whole model of what I have written about in the science of shame and its treatment. So we all have shame. Shame is good if it's not toxic, and we'll get into toxic shame, but shame is good because it keeps us on the straight and narrow. Guilt, okay. guilt, on the other hand, does not keep us on the straight and narrow. Guilt makes us feel bad, and guilt uh, causes us to, uh, to have anxiety or to not feel great, but, or the, always the fear of getting caught with guilt. It's always that right. fear. 
Shame is always about our sense of self. So when those two terms are used in the same sentence, they're not the same. They come from absolutely different parts of our brain. And I really want your listeners to know that because they should never use guilt and shame coterminously. Shame is always about our sense of self and who we are or who we think we are. Yeah. So you you mentioned a moment ago, too, those inner messages, our self-talk, and and how they come from elsewhere. I know for our listeners, it's called an interject. And it's the way that we were spoken to as children, the way we speak and behave towards our children, that then become their inner voice also. And I agree with you in your work that that children that are raised in fear-based environments, you know, they feel overly responsible for things and, and such that are outside of their control and I think develop a sense of guilt, you know, like right. a, a guilt-based identity as opposed to a shame-based, feeling... I- shame-based yeah. identity. And that has to do with addictions. But you said, you said something that is so important. And by the way, Lisa, you may not realize it. You said something that most of the talk show hosts and hostesses have not said, and that is shame, uh, it's an introject. Uh, yeah. An introject is something that we've learned early in life and taken in as our own and, right. and, and, and try to own it. Children that come from these toxic environments where there's uh, abuse, uh, neglect, and they're, self de- they're demeaned uh, and all of that, well, these children actually come, the, these traumatic environments, children actually think they created them. Right. Because I think the idea in most kids is if they really loved me, they wouldn't have done that to me. <laughs> And, mm-hmm. and I think that there's so much of that in the world that we have to get a handle on. So what, what I find is that folks with addictions, uh, 100% of people with addictions have toxic shame, but not everybody who experiences shame has addiction. So this is uh, an important differentiation. I it think. is. It is. So what we're really talking about is that, that negative self-demeaning self-talk. It's that gnawing, nasty voice in our head that tells us we're not good enough, that we're less than. It keeps from, from us from feeling good about ourself and that sense of self. Uh, we, we're in a world right now where we can't really talk about ourselves because it's not politically correct. But I think that we're all morally bankrupt when we don't talk about the things that are meaningful and important. So I yeah. think we have to get away from political correctness and get back to a place where we can, we, we can talk about what is without worrying about uh, judgments. And I think that can be hard to do, um, you know, because we, we, most people want to be liked and held in high regard and esteem. And so, uh, you know, I'm thinking kids that come from a family where there is trauma, where there's not a, a secure base, I'm thinking of attachment theory, you know, kind of shift and, and try to perceive their environment, how to be, how not to be, and then taking that into adulthood can make it hard, I think, to have a core sense of self. Um, no, a core, no, we all have a sense of self, but a core sense of a happy, healthy self. And yes, really that's a better that, way to say it. And I think that's the important thing. But, you know, let's face it, most people have fears, right? But kids that have what I call, to- or folks that have toxic shame, that being the addictions, uh, mood disorders, or certain personality disorders, um, have what we call toxic shame. That is shame that does not enhance one's sense of self. And these people tend to have fears, and I've got 10 of them that I've, uh, I, I think that are shared, being shamed, not feeling good enough, going crazy, losing a relationship, being a failure, emptiness, dis- dis- displeasing someone, being seen as a phony, 
not mattering, or being abandoned. These are massive fears that many yeah. people experience. But those with toxic shame have those 10 fears on steroids. They experience those fears as if they're the, the biggest thing in their life. Yeah. So h- how do we begin to address the, the self-talk and the negative messages to make some shifts internally? How do you, how do, you do that? Well, and I how does your work inform this? Well, number one, I think in my world, I had some goals. And one of them are, you know, the goal of my book is certainly is to take the, the stigma and mystery out of shame. And to, or as I say, to take the shame out of shame. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, 100% of the world has shame. And I think about 66% of the population, some of my colleagues think it's higher, but about 66% of the population suffers from some form of toxic shame. As I said, mood disorders, addictions, personality disorders, about 66% of the population. So about 33% pretty much feel okay if it's that high. Okay. My goal was to show how these early life abuses, traumas, and neglect, and abandonments, physical and emotional, and violence cause toxic shame. And I I think there's a huge component of PTSD in in these. And as you, I uh, truly follow and believe in attachment theory because without attachment and without oxytocin, which is the, the chemical aspect of attachment and bonding, without that, children never learn how to self-soothe. They never learn how to take care of themselves. They never learn how to feel that sense of warmth from a bond with another, either with a parent, a caregiver, a friend, or, or a, a partner. They never learn to feel that warmth. And they, they go chasing that warmth through addictions, through you know alcoholism and drug abuse and yeah. other nasty behaviors that really do hamper one's sense of self. And I find that so true, especially when folks are in the process of getting healthy and they look back on their life, the, the detritus, you know, the, 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 shabble, the, the shambles that they had left their previous life in. And I say, that was then, this is now, you know, your history is written on a block of ice, let it go. Just I like that. Go. Yeah. 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 It does you no good to ponder where you were in the past. And the other side of it is get the hell out of your head. Get out of your mm-hmm. head. Your head is a dark place, you know? We need to get out of there. How do you help people do that, get out of their heads? You know, I've developed what I call uh, compassion-based relational therapy where we can, you know, I'm not doing, with some of these patients in the early stages of treatment, I am not doing cognitive behavioral therapy because it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. What what I found, too, part of my journey was to try to understand why I was losing about 40% of my my patients of my clinical practice, when these people are ban- they're running away when we get to that point of their shame, their sexual abuse, they were violated as children, they were beat up, they were in toxic environments, whatever it was right. that didn't leave them with a healthy sense of self. When we got to that place, they would bolt because I'm trying to change how they think about it. Well, that's, that's baloney. That does yeah. not work. So, you know, because you have to feel it. I think you have to feel, you know, a thought is meaningful when we feel emotion about it. Right, right. Now, I don't want to get specifically into the, the treatment part now because I think that the, the, the general understanding of this shame business is so bloody important because people do have to 
understand that they don't have to live their life that way. They don't, you know, when they think about what they're thinking about, and when they listen to what they're thinking about, and if it's toxic, I want them to take a look at my book. I want them to understand that this is not, this is an introject. This is somebody else's language. Right. You know, in my book, I, I, I talk about the ventriloquist and the dummy. Who's the ventriloquist and who's the dummy? Yeah. And the ventriloquist is typically that person who is, you know, informing us as to who we are, you know, telling us you're bad, you're this, you're that, or not paying enough attention to us uh, or uh, to the child. And and then we, we develop that, that toxic self-talk. So who is the, who is the dummy and, and who is the ventriloquist? Well, we, we don't want to be the dummy anymore, and we have mm-hmm. to g- give it up so that we're not the ventriloquist now. That, that's not the role we're playing anymore, that we're going to change that. Yeah. So, you know, you write about in, in shame reduction and uh, your shame right. reduction treatment approach right. is, is lear- you know, helping your patients learn to accept and believe that they're not perfect and that it's okay because it's not possible to be perfect nor realistic and and learning to accept accept our perfectly imperfect perfect. self that's Can right you we talk all, some we're about all perfect. that yeah, yeah you know when you when a person suffers from shame and i'm going to make a big deal out of this when a person suffers from shame they have to think they think that they have to be on top of the heap they have to be better than in order not to feel less than and this overcompensation often creates misery for most people who experience toxic shame and live a shame-based life. So I think if we realize that we're all, we all come from a place where none of us are perfect, uh, but we're perfectly imperfect, and that we have the ability to deal with that in a healthy way. And to stop, you know, to, to, to understand that many of the things that befell us as children before the age of 18 were not our fault. We didn't do it. You remember uh, in Goodwill Hunting when Robin Williams puts his arms around Matt Damon and says those four words that that really captured me and really gave me goosebumps and tears when he said to to Matt Damon, it's not your fault. You didn't do this. It's not your fault. And I think he said it several times. It's not your fault, which was, which was a watershed moment. In that it movie. was. But in life, it's a watershed moment when we experience it's not our fault. And in treatment, when, I, when we get to that place where the, where the patient knows, you know, I could say it's not your fault, but it has no meaning unless we're doing everything to build up to that moment where we could see that it's really not the, the individual's fault, that they were victims and oftentimes we find that this shame is generational, that it's handed down from grandparents to parents to the right. children, and it goes on and on. And children are raised in what we call shame-based families or boundaryless families. Um, not a good situation at all. No, not it's not. situation. Right. And, and what you're talking about is causing me to think about the development of trust. And I wonder how you help your patients develop trust in themselves and their intuition and even the world being a safe place since well, it, it I, I, wasn't growing up. So that trust, Lisa, is so important. Yeah. You know, where is the first trust that we would have? I think the first trust is in the bond between a child and and a caregiver, whether it's a parent, an aunt, an uncle, grandmother, it doesn't matter, as long as it's a healthy relationship. I think that's where we feel trust. As I often say to my patients, can you imagine a little baby in a mother's arms, and all of a sudden the mother is, the baby is suffering from the mother, and the mother opens her arms and drops the baby. Gosh. How is that baby going to feel the next time that mother picks that baby up? Not trusting, huh? 
right. And I think that that's a, a real example of what happens to, to children growing up in environments where they're toxic environments. They may be traumatic, whatever, but there is no development of trust. So children don't have an internal primary sense of trust for themselves. They can't have it for the world if they don't have it within themselves. And that's where the shame-based behavior really comes from, that lack of trust, that lack of self-soothing, that lack of, I don't care about myself, I don't care what I do, it doesn't matter, I don't matter. Right. And the big yeah. thing about not mattering is most people who have toxic shame really feel like they don't matter. Yes. And and you you talk as well about the triggers to a shame attack. And, right. and that, that to me is one, you know, the way one may be treated that that causes the thought, I don't matter, and, and that's a shame attack coming on. How do you, how do you help your patients work with well, that in the by, moment by, as it's happening? Yeah, by, by understanding that the shame attacks come from toxic self-talk. It's, and self-talk is not thinking, by the way. Thinking comes from the left, the broca's area, around the speech area, higher areas of our brain, the neocortex. And the prefrontal cortex, that's where, that's where our thinking comes from. But shame comes from such a low level that when something is triggered by, and, and believe me, we can trigger it in a lot of ways. Somebody says something to you and, and all of a sudden they're talking about you versus something you know, else. And they're talking about your sense of self. It triggers this low feeling where you want to disappear. Have you ever had an experience, Lisa, where you just... Somebody said something to you socially and you just wanted to go away? Yeah, when it hits a nerve, when it hits a, a trigger of my own, absolutely. Those triggers, and we all have triggers, and I think that, you know, when, when we go through treatment, understand that we can modify those triggers, and those triggers don't have to be hanging out there like a, a red button saying, push me. Uh, we, we, can, we can basically protect ourselves with good boundaries by setting good boundaries and by understanding the shame, uh, the issues of our, our traumatic childhood, we can understand that our sense of self doesn't have to be set out there uh, for public display, that we can protect ourselves in numerous ways. Yeah. So, so the, triggers, the triggers are really anything out there that might affect how we see ourselves. We also have the internal triggers. Um, you know, the, a guy has a, a chance for a job, but he feels so low. He goes to the interview and, and he thinks that somebody is looking at how he's dressed or him. And he, uh, so the, the shame-based individual is going to all of a sudden shut down and try to disappear. That doesn't do well in, the, in an interview, but it happens more often than not. So in my shame work... triggered. I... Go ahead. Shame, excuse me. Yeah, shame is triggered in many different ways. It is. And in my work, I help my clients, you know, when they are triggered, kind of, it, typically it takes a while before you can do it in the, in the moment of, of being triggered and feeling all of the emotion, not knowing what is just about the here and now and what's from the past, right. you know, and, and helping clients differentiate what is the here and now, what is the past, you know, is there any truth in this, and then, and then the self-soothing that you mentioned earlier, you know, right. going to a technique of self-soothing that might help them. And, and then you write about putting your shame into words. Can you talk to us about that? Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Because I think that's an important piece of healing also. Right. What I have my patients do is, is, is a, a history of abuse, number one, and then a history of relationships with mom, dad, siblings, aunts, uncles, grandparents. And I, we look for where those shame areas are, okay? Okay. I, I, I'm going to try to talk directly to, to your question. But really, uh, in the treatment of it, we're really looking to get the patient to understand what the, what the triggers are, but also looking at specific areas uh, of trauma and specific areas of abuse mm-hmm. so that the, the, the patient is not replicating the same abuse, as we find that they do over and over again, almost compulsively, because they yeah. think that that's what they're, all they're entitled to is that sense of abuse or self-abuse or self-punishment. So what I do look for are, you know, words and sentences and triggers that cause an individual to rebound into that shame, uh, that shame wound uh, uh, sense of, of pain and right. agony. Yeah, where they, see, where they feel like they can't get out of it. And then you're right, you know, you were talking about the moment, living in the moment, because that's critically important. Shame-based people do not live in the moment. Where do they live, Lisa? They live in their head. They live in their history. And we know that when you live in the past, you have depression. When you live in the future, pretty much anticipatory, you have anticipatory anxiety. When when you live in the moment, all you have is the nowness, the present. And, you know, a lot of this, a bunch of this I learned firsthand through my 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 contacts with with Victor Frankel, Dr. Victor Frankel. Yes. Um, as his TA during my doctoral program, uh, what I found was, yeah, you know, Frankel had all of the science of being in the moment, and that, uh, this is many years ago now. Um, I know. Yeah, in the seventies, correct? It was in the seventies um, that I studied under him. It was like nineteen seventy seven, um, seventy six, seventy seven. Uh, and what I found was how important is it to live in the present, to live in the moment. Now, it's impossible to totally live in the moment all of the time. Right. But when we find ourselves going retrograde in our head, you know, looking at the past and letting that inform our present, we have to stop. And, I, you know, I do that stop technique where I, I tell my patients, stop. Take a look at where you are right now. And, and, and let's focus on, on the, the moment. Because when you're in the moment, you can't have those toxic negative feelings. And remember, for many people, those feelings are all they know. It's the right. only thing they know about their sense of self is they're not good enough. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the piece that we, we want to um, eradicate. We, we, want, we want to break that cycle, that pattern of chained thinking, if you will. Do, so yesterday I was I was with a, a new client and she had had experienced very severe sexual abuse growing up and you know we're we're beginning our work and she asked if she could really truly ever ever feel better you know can I ever really truly heal 
from this. And, and what I found myself telling her is that, is that I see and experience this as like a volume on a stereo. And right now it's really loud. You know, your pain's really loud. And that over time it turns down, the volume goes down, and that you truly can be at peace you know, with these, with these issues, with these traumas, knowing that things, you know, very well may trigger them and, and you'll learn to deal and cope with that. How, how do you answer that question? Well, just beautiful, beautiful. You know, as a learning theorist, I, I, um, I don't want to keep that, the pattern or that, that, that chaining, that linking up. And what we really want to do is, is break that pattern of, of, of thinking, you know, you want to get them into the moment, right? Yes. What? And, 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 and that's the all-important thing. However, <clears throat> oftentimes the history and, and, and how they felt is so important that you really have to kind of extinguish that, that, that linking, that, that link-up of history to the present by having them experience positive things in the moment. You said you do EMDR. Well, right. you know, with the EMDR, you're retraining Right and all of that. So when they start to feel a little anxious, you do uh, a, a self-soothing. You, yes. you can bring them into the moment. You can use uh, all kinds of the guided imagery, self-hypnosis, auto-suggestion. There are a number of things that we can use to break that that linkage up. But you, you you're you're certified in hypnosis as well, correct? Yeah, I am certified in clinical hypnosis. I yeah, my license number is one twenty. So I've been doing hypnosis for about 45, 46 years. And, you know, I don't use it as much anymore, but I certainly use it uh, in, in the moment when I'm dealing with folks who are trying to learn how to relax and get them, you know, where they had a scene, a toxic scene from the past, and we're trying to um, break that, that the, the linkage. So we have them relax and then integrate new stuff, new, new thoughts, new visions, uh, new memories, if you will, yeah, to, to help extinguish the past. But a big part of the past is uh, a big part of treatment. I think is is helping our patients understand that they're not responsible for what happened to them, and that right. takes a long time. It's easy to say you're not responsible, but the therapy around that often takes a whole bunch of time. Yes, you know, I was curious, and you've been practicing for over forty four years, right? Uh, I'm in my forty seventh year now. Yes, yeah, so, so many years. Yeah, I was licensed in 70. And so I've wondered how your work has changed. You know, this book came out more recently, The Science of Shame and Its Treatment. You've written other books working with law enforcement, um, you know, behavioral science. Yeah, yeah type yeah. things. Like, how, how have you noticed that you've changed in your practice over all of these years? I've become much more relational. I understand and I accept myself. Yes, I, I, I wasn't born with a Ph.D. I earned it. Um, but I am, you know, Jerry Fishkin at the, at the, at the root. And so what I have found is I don't, you know, I don't have to be Dr. Fishkin in my office anymore. I can be Jerry Fishkin being treated with respect, certainly, but I can be relational with my people and help them to, to, to be relational with themselves. And that's the biggest challenge is to, to, to relate, to have a sense of compassion. And if you, if you, you, know, you look at my book, and I've, I've written about compassion, that yeah. children that, that have toxic shame typically and generally do not have self-compassion. And mm-hmm. I break compassion down. So, you know, when I was doing my research, nobody knows what compassion is. Well, I think I do. 
compassion is two things, attunement and empathy. And when yes. we have attunement and empathy, then we have compassion because compassion is another affect, just like a shame is an affect, a pre-emotion. So is compassion. And when we have compassion for ourselves, we have we can use compassion as a sense of self-love, if you will. That mm-hmm. if we're attuned to ourselves in a healthy way and we have empathy for ourselves, then we can we can definitely project that to another. You know, love love I don't know what love is, Lisa. I, I think it's a sense of something about oneself, and it's a sense of something about somebody else. I think we learn love, again, through that bonding experience. I don't yeah. think it's possible to learn it any other way. And when we truly have love and self-love, and I'm not talking about narcissistic self-love, I'm just talking about liking ourselves in a really healthy way where we protect ourselves in a healthy way, then we can, we can uh, project that, communicate, and transmit that to other people. That's what therapy is about, and helping individuals to develop that sense of attunement and, and, and empathy. That happens in the consulting room, I believe. I do, too. And you talk about inner harmony and, and attunement, empathy. Right. It, I think, again, of just attachment and how so much goes back. You know, when I get a history with my client and I want to know about what their early recollections are of, you know, when they were hurt, when they fell down, how were you responded to? Like, was it with empathy and, oh, how are you, sweetie? Or was it like, come on, get up and move ahead? And because those are the messages then we internalize that become the interject that we tell ourselves and then turn on others, our loved ones, most specifically, and, um, and trying to rework all of that you know, on a daily basis, like really just being in the moment with oneself to get to that place of being attuned right. to oneself and others, and having have empathy. empathy. And yeah. have true empathy is the deepest sense of relation that I think we can have. I don't think there's anything deeper than that. And within that, that is the most important place to be to have attunement. When we have attunement and empathy for ourselves first, we're not going to do things that make us look bad and feel bad to ourselves or to others. And that's where the healthy shame business comes in. That's where we can see where the roadblocks are and and where we walk the straight and narrow to enhance our sense of self and our sense of self-worth and not beat it into the ground. Yeah, and, and I think, I know you talk about on your website, your, the, the pet, the dog that you and your wife have. And I Cooper, think pets. And my baby. Yes, your baby. I think pets are such a beautiful way to really yeah. develop, almost jumpstart empathy, love, compassion, attunement. Right. Um, because that's what they bring out in us. For sure. That's right. And, and, and we are their protectors and they, and they help protect us as well. And yeah, I don't call Cooper my I call him my 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 dog boy, my dog son because he is he's just like a little boy to me and 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 we share and uh, my wife and I have have had him for almost 10 years and he's been precious for us. Yeah. He sat he sits by my side when I'm writing or when we're watching TV or whatever we're doing and it's just like anybody with a pet who who truly loves that pet and is able to share and keep that pet from harm, keep that pet safe. That's what this is all about. And we have to do the same with ourselves. We do. And, you know, I I have a a pet cat, a big tuxedo cat. His name is Jiggy with a J. 
And I have offices in New Orleans and Los Angeles. And Dr. Fishkin, when my clients in New Orleans, there are sometimes if Jiggy will not come out into the office, they, they kind of want to leave. They're like, you know, we like you a lot, but we're really here for Jiggy because well. he's so sensitive to energy. And um, he's just a love. I mean, so they're in Los mm-hmm. Angeles with me this summer. I have a little baby kitten as well. Uh-huh. But just my, my Jiggy helps my clients to heal. He will sit on their laps sometime when they're crying and then get up right at the moment, you know, before there's any agitation. And I just think pets are so attuned. They have a natural attunement Attunement. to emotion. Yes, they do. Which is remarkable to me. Right. That's true. And that's why we we love them. Yeah, I think we do too. And it get it gets uh, covered up by abuse and trauma. And like my, the visual I have is like stones being put on top of a fountain. You know, yeah. that block our ability to connect and it's removing, helping our patients remove those blockages and stones so that the empathy can flow. Well, and when compassion. you say that, I hear the term, the term unconditionality because I really uh-huh. think that's what this is about. You know, we're all, we all make conditions about ourselves and everything in our world. You know, if things were only this way, then I could feel that way. You know, I, if I was born this, this way, then I wouldn't feel this way. I mean, there are conditions everywhere and judgments. And I think we need to get beyond our conditions and the conditional, conditionality of others and beyond judgments. You know, parents who train children using shame are training them with conditions. You know, Bobby, you'd be a good boy if you just did this and not that. Mm-hmm. Or we'll love you if you do this and not that. Or this is a, the way to get through life, Mary, but you have to do this and not that. I mean, setting conditions, um, terrible stuff, because conditions always redound to who we are. You know, and I'm not good and at limitation. that. And limitation. Yeah. yeah. The focus is on limitation when, when you look at conditions like that. That's right. I think. That's correct. You know, and I like in your work that you talk about people can really heal. They really can break that connection, even, you know, brain-based biology to truly be happy and feel happy more of the time. Because I've practiced 20 years and I've heard a lot of kind of like you can't, especially when there's abuse and trauma, there's always going to be something there. And and it's felt at moments even hopeless, you know, for me, like, are my clients ever really going to feel better? Is this just BS? You know, and, and I'm, I, a part of me has always believed, no, you know, it might, it might take a long time to really change those messages and belief systems, right. Right. but I believe that they can be changed. Right. Also. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's all about having faith. And, you know, when you have faith, faith, the other word for faith is religion, but the other word for faith is trust. And when we have faith in something, then we can trust its reality. And I think the most important faith we have to have is faith in ourselves first to really mm-hmm. trust who we are and move that project into the world to be the best version of ourself. Because I really do focus on self. I'm, I'm a proponent of, of what we might call self theory, but I don't even know what that means. I think it's, it's really mm-hmm. just about who we are. And, and, you know, I think that there are two components in life, really two. I, I'm a reductionist. I think that there are two major components in life. One is time and the other one is energy. And when we, mm. I hear people talking about killing time, I hear them, I, my, my brain says you're killing sense of self. You're killing yourself because you're, you're not living in the moment. So when we have time and energy, we can do almost anything. And that yeah. gives us freedom. We have the freedom to make change, the freedom to experience something different, the, experience, the freedom to have 
a full and healthy and enriched life. And the freedom from that closed system, toxic, negative, irrational self-talk. Yeah. And giving ourselves permission to move beyond those, those familiar places. Because when we give ourselves permission, uh, Lisa, we're, what we're really saying is you're looking at yourself. You know, I, I, write, a, I write about being able to separate yourself. Uh, from yourself and, and to, to have healthy conversations. So when we give ourselves permission, what we're really doing is saying, you're okay, you can do this, have fun. Go to the yeah. store, do something good for yourself. Go buy yourself a new shirt or a new pair of pants or a new watch. Go do something nice for yourself. I mean, that's not treatment per se, but it, it certainly frees us to say, I'm good enough to do that. Yes, and that's what we're trying to, to build within our clients right. and right. ourselves, you know, Most that, that we're, yeah, that we're good enough. It's okay. I can allow, you know, even, even though we grew up with limiting beliefs to, to go beyond those. Exactly. What else is important for you to talk to, about today? We have about five more minutes. I'm wondering how clients can reach you. Um, I know that you, you are from Yonkers, New York. I wanted yes. to mention. I have yeah, a Yonkers. dear friend from Yonkers, and, really? and so I know the area. Yeah, uh-huh. she's in New Orleans now, and right. um, you were born there. Uh, no, you're born in the Bronx. Right? I was born in the Bronx, and yeah. and, uh, and my dad was in Europe fighting. He, my dad was on Normandy Hill when I was born. And in fact, wow. the Red Cross Cinema brought him a letter saying, you know, a, a telegram saying that uh, his son is here. And uh, I didn't see my dad, or he didn't see me for the first two years of my life, and that might have wow. been something you know, tragic or something, but it did. It wasn't. Uh, but uh, he came back from the war all shell-shocked and, and, and had his own miseries. And, and, and I was able to see with my dad, you know, the, the, the toxicity of trauma. And mm, he, he, mm-hmm. came from a, he came from a, um, a, a family, a very close family, uh, and he was the youngest, and he had to go off to war, and he was ill-prepared for it, but he came back as a, a stronger man and a man of courage and dignity and respect. And, you know, he, and I watched my dad go through all of those things when I was uh, young. But Young, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yonkers, New York is my hometown. Moved here when I was 12. Moved to California, L.A. when I was 12. Uh, and uh, you know, I've been here ever since. And your you your office is in Long Beach, is that correct? I, I, I practice in Long Beach, California, and uh, I uh, have been in this this office, this current office, for almost twenty years, and uh, at the beach, and I I certainly love it here. It's it's, it's like the we call the endless summer. It's a, such a high quality of life as as I'm experiencing moving out yeah. here with the beach, and which I love as well. Uh-huh. It's just so uh, restorative for me. Right. Right, and so if I was gonna, if I'm going to leave your your listeners, you know, with with anything profound, you know, what I want to say is, you know, our personalities are the outward manifestation of our sense of self, and and I think that the most important thing that we can do in life is to deal with uh, that sense of self, to understand that we are not condemned to live a less than life, and I say less than in quotes. We're not yeah. condemned to live that life. We, we have the opportunity to have a healthier life. You know, I was watching a, a, a new uh, video or movie with uh, Tony Robbins last night, and it was rather toxic mm-hmm. for me because his stuff is all in the moment. And, 
I don't think he's teaching anybody long-term stuff. But what I did see was that um, he is trying to approach people's worst fears and nightmares, their lowest sense of self. And, and what we're trying to do in therapy, and especially with toxic uh, shame, is to help individuals have the tools to understand that the tools are not all that complex and that living for oneself in the moment is the highest level uh, that we can achieve as mortals and to live every moment, if we can, in a way that really manifests the best sense of who we are. And, and I, to me, that's the most important thing I can do. I devote my life to my patients and, and to my work and, and, and to my writing because, to me, this is what it's all about. We're, we're yeah. helping each other get through this thing called life. And by the way, I think that life, you know, we're only here for a, blip, a, a short blip in time. And I don't think we should make this uh, a horrible exercise in futility. I think that we have the opportunity to provide for the, our people the best resources and the best opportunity to look in the mirror and say, I like who I see. I like who I am. And I'm going to take that into the world in my relationships and in my work and, and with it, everything I do. That's the goal to, to have our folks, to have the universe feel good about themselves, to not carry shame, to not have it be generational, but to leave it behind to use the good shame, healthy shame, if you will, right. to guide us down the, the healthy path of life. You know, you just answered the, the last question that I had for you. We, we didn't, did not have anything scripted. And my last question was to ask you what you want to leave. You've had such a rich career and personal life. And I hear you saying that it's about your work and your passion to help people heal and change these, their, the guilt-based identity to be able to be happier and more fulfilled well either guilt or shame-based identity to bring that out of the out of the uh toxic realm yeah out of the toxic realm into a healthy realm because we can use all that to make good out of bad yeah so is it true that people can reach you at dr gerald with a g fishkin.com that's correct. They can they can go to my w- website, Dr. Gerald Dr. Gerald Fishkin.com. That's all lowercase, uh, or they can go to our Facebook, which is the Science of Shame and Its Treatment uh, uh, at Facebook. That's a, a beautiful uh, place. It we, is. It's well we, done. We have actors and actresses and people uh, coming out of the woodwork and talking about their early life abuses. Dax Shepard talked about how he was sexually abused by another male as a child, and Monica Lewinsky talking about her shame from what happened with, with in the, in, during the Clinton years. And uh, There are a number of people now coming forward and talking to me and talking to us about their shame in, in, in such a healthy, positive way as yeah. a way of saying to the universe, look, we all, we've all been there. Look at me. I've been able to overcome it. Yes. So, yeah, they can go to my website or they can call my office uh, at uh, 562-987-1533. That's 562-987-1533. Go to the website uh, or, or purchase the book. You can get it at Amazon. You can, you, can, you can get it through my website or they can call the 800 number 621-2736. It's a great read, I think. I'm, I'm getting a it lot is. of positive regard. Uh, we just got a, uh, I just do a little brag here. We 
We just Please. Added, we, we got a book review from the San Francisco Book Review. got a four out of five. And, Congratulations. Uh, you know, in the old days, I would go, why did I get a five out of five? But she's a right. four out of five at the San it's Francisco Book Review. is like fantastic. solid gold. So, I, again, my gratitude level is so high. I can't, you know, it's, it's, it's almost overwhelming at times. Yes, yeah. and deserved. And the link for this show is on your Facebook page as well, too, The Science of Shame and Its Treatment. Absolutely. And I'll be sending it to you later on for your other, yes. you know, ways to get it out. Thank right. you for being my guest today, Dr. Fishkin. Lisa, this was such an honor to be with you today. Thank for you me so too. much. For me too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That concludes our show for today. Wow. Um, shifting to next week, my, my guest next week, she has been featured on ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Forbes, Fox News. You get the picture for being a leading authority on buying and selling businesses. Michelle Seiler Tucker has written a book about buying and selling businesses, and she will be on this show talking about those ideas um, next week. So join me, same time. Bye-bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.